Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hello, everyone. We We made it, friends. We We are coming at you at the end of this long and I say awful school year. I just, <laughs> I mean, I just kind of rolled this school year into last school year. And that's why it feels extra long to me because I feel like last summer wasn't the same break that normally happens. I feel like everything just rolled into one. So it was like two really tough school years in a row, back to back, no break, but we did it. We made it. I know there's a lot of families still struggling because of COVID and, you know, coming back to school and, for the most part, almost everyone is back to school other than our kiddos with you know, medical needs where it's still not safe, unfortunately. And I guess we're just hoping for everyone to get some rest this summer, maybe some sunshine. Yeah, I just this school year is just was its own unique beast. I feel like everybody was on the same page for the most part last year. And then this year with the different variants and then like at least in California, the push to be back in person and there's no exceptions. And it was just it presented itself as such a cluster, especially with the way that money was allocated in California, where districts are trying to say like, well, they can't do virtual. And it was it was just a mess all around. I know. Well, and then just how many schools just business as normal, like right. didn't want to take anything from COVID to make any changes, you know, and I feel like started the school year out with, we're going to do a lot of repetition from last year, but then ended the school year with, we still expect you to be grade level by the end of the year. And it's like, whoa, wait, hold up. <laughs> like we're not the same people we were two years ago. These kids are not the same kids. I mean, when most kids at the beginning of the pandemic, the day that the schools shut down, to starting next school year, it's a huge shift. It's like kindergartners went from kindergarten to now fourth grade, third grade. Like, so yeah, if they were in kindergarten at the end of that school year, first grade would have been the 2020, 2021. So second grade would have been 2022, 2020. So they're going into third grade. Yeah. 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 And we have kids that had just started high school that are being expected to graduate and their entire high school career has been just blanketed by COVID. And we have schools that just think it's all fine. We're back to normal, but yet we're not. Yeah, I think this normal. is the new, I mean, it's the not addressing anything and the being super dismissive. And I can't tell you how many IEPs at the end of the school year that I had to kind of bring it back to, we just had COVID because it, yeah, it just seems like it's business as usual. Yeah. You know, with this, you know, episode, we wanted to be able to talk about some of the things that were going right. One of the advantages of parents seeing how when their children were home was seeing how their children actually learn. And today we have Maggie Stout out, right? So how do you say? Okay. Yes. I'm so self-conscious. Okay. Um, Maggie is, as as she puts it, a longtime learning specialist. And we are so excited to have you on Maggie. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Yeah. Thank you. So Maggie, our topic today is going to be accommodations, which I think 
is just an area that a lot of parents get mixed up with modifications, even a lot of districts. So before we get into that, can you give a little bit of background about yourself? I obviously already said that you're a learning specialist, but what other names or labels do you have for yourself? (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes. I'm really excited to be here. Definitely as an educator and learning specialist of about 10 years, I started most of my career actually has been working in New York City with both public schools and private schools, um, including an international school. So I've worked with students in various capacities from about pre-K to 10th grade. And actually last year was the first year that I've actually left the classroom and I've started working for an educational tech company called Parallel Learning. And their mission is to kind of make learning evaluations and support services more accessible using a fully virtual model. But my passion has always been about giving students access to what they need. And after seeing so many students deprived of this because of these different barriers that exist, it's been really exciting to be working towards breaking down those barriers, reaching more students, and really educating families on you know what can help their child learn best. Yeah, and that's exactly what accommodations are. I, th- I love that you put it about access because we talk about that all the time when Mm-hmm. You know, families or teachers are trying to ask why we should do these accommodations. And we even hear like, oh, well, then that's like basically cheating or you're just giving it to them, making it easier for them. And that's not what accommodations are for. Accommodations are to help provide student access. The same way that a student has glasses allows them to see, right? Most of these accommodations allow students to access. We're not changing the curriculum. We're not making it easier. So can you give our listeners kind of the definition you kind of use for accommodations? I think it's just that. I feel like you kind of phrase it. It's it's hard to fully define it, but I agree with you. I think it's really giving students access to tools or different modalities that will allow them to learn the content and the skills that they are expected to be learning. And, you know, if we really boil down the skills that we want kids to learn, they're lifelong skills, right? I mean, there's definitely Mm -hmm. content that they're learning and, you know, they need to Remember year to year, there's a certain focus as they move throughout their school, like their academic career. But, you know, just as you stated, I love the example of using glasses too, as like, it's a tool. And, you know, this actually reminds me of, you know, thinking about the culture that we create in our classrooms. I think it really starts there when it comes to thinking about accommodations you know, there's that question about fairness. And I remember Mm -hmm. always starting my year with the kindergartners saying, what does fair mean to you? Right. And you hear the word equal and you hear the word balance. So I would present to them that same thing. If you needed glasses to see, like if I need to wear glasses, does that mean everybody in the classroom needs to wear glasses? Like, wouldn't that be equal? And you'd Mm -hmm. see the wheels turn, right? And they really started to see the understanding and seeing the meaning of fairness that actually really boils down to people getting what they need, even if it's not the same thing. Yeah. I love that. That's exactly right. And I don't think enough parents know this. I don't think enough educators really think about it in that way, which ends up leading to some problems, especially general education teachers who unfortunately are by their districts, not given enough training. Right. 
Yes. And I think you're right. In my experience, the challenge actually really hasn't been with the kids. You know, once we kind of set the tone that, you know, everyone needs something different to learn, you know, I really feel like most of the challenges is really educating the teachers and educating Mm -hmm. the families and to know fault of their own, there really hasn't been a lot of focus on the education around this, right? Uh, Teachers are given a set of tools, maybe they are taught to differentiate, but understanding why certain accommodations are recommended or why certain accommodations can help a student is truly what I feel is important to be um, teaching and sharing with teachers and parents. Because once they understand that, then they can see its role in, in learning they're less skeptical about, oh my goodness, is this going to be fair to others? Or is this an unfair advantage that I'm giving my students? Right. Well, I right. also think that they get, they don't get checked every year, or it's just this kind of one size fits all of here are the accommodations that most often every child is getting, right? And so I think having that shift of why does this particular child need this accommodation because the teachers know, right? And sometimes front of the classroom, right? Sitting near the teacher, like maybe it needs to be a little bit different. Maybe it needs to be off to the side, not directly in front of the teacher's desk. And being able to have a conversation about each of the accommodations, I think is so important. And it's oftentimes always skipped. Like they're just like, here are the accommodations. And then they go, you know, straight into the next thing. And yeah, um, that's, it's not right. And I think I see, we see that, general education teachers saying that it's unfair or, you know, I have this one way that we, I approach it for all students. We get that most when we have these generic accommodations. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about on the pod before, the best way to make sure that your, your IEP is very clear as to your accommodations is to use your WH questions, right? Who, where, why, when, how we're wanting to be clear because in being clear, you're showing that it's more individualized, that it was really thought through pertaining to this student. Preferential seating for this student did not mean in the front of the room. It meant in the back where they can get up and stand up if they need a sensory break, right? So I think that's where we have some challenges. But what would you say, so if we have a student who has accommodations in general education and we have general education teachers, maybe they're middle school or high school, so they have seven different teachers, and there's a teacher that's hesitant to um, provide an accommodation because they say, well, this is the way I do it for all students. They shouldn't get special treatment. What would you say to that teacher? I love that question because I really do think that, you know, teachers want to help their students, right? I always ask them to approach their skepticism because that's what mm. I really, to me, that's what it is, is that yeah. they really care about their child and their students learning what they're expected to learn. And to me, skepticism is really kind of curiosity met with a little bit of fear. And I think Mm -hmm. that they're worried that if I give this accommodation or these accommodations to a child, they're not actually learning what I want them to learn. I always ask teachers, you know, when I'm kind of working through helping this mind shift is to approach the student, for example, that we're, we're thinking of with curiosity and try to give, you know, your most generous interpretation of like what's happening. So 
Like, for example, you know, oh, I've heard before, you know, I feel like the student's lazy and doesn't want to take notes. And now I have to provide a copy of class notes to them when everyone else has to take down notes. Like, how are they going to learn? This is where I see the fear. How are they going to learn to take their own notes? And when I think about approaching a situation like that with curiosity, I'm asking questions. Does this child have, you know, trouble listening the whole time? Is the pacing difficult for them? Maybe they don't know what to write down. Maybe that writing part is really overwhelming. And then the teacher can ask themselves, well, what can I do to support their learning here? Like you said before, you know, the preferential seating can mean different things for different students. So providing a copy of notes could present very differently to that individual child. So let's explore. Do we want to provide them a copy with visuals? Do we want to have the notes with fill in the blanks so that we're engaging Mm -hmm. their attention, but removing the labor of writing every single thing down. Could we offer them keywords instead so that they're listening and we're, we're kind of keeping them focused. This isn't cheating, right? This is a simple way of just meeting a student where they're at. And so that's kind of the approach that I love to kind of engage teachers in is like, How can we approach this with curiosity? How can we have our most generous interpretation of what this child's struggle is? Because let's be honest, teachers are so experienced and they're so skilled. Once we look at it this way, I'm sure they'll have plenty of ideas on how they can support learning. I love that way of thinking about it. I think that's really, really helpful. And I think even too, like when we think about learning and that teacher that really is just like, well, I really want them to learn. If we use that curiosity and really think about the real world implications, right? Most of learning is to help in the real world after schooling. So what are the implications in the real world? Because remember when we were kids, we were told, you have to learn this cursive because you're going to have to use it later on. And when do we use cursive now? You're not going to have the, a calculator with you. And it's like, right. boom, phone. <laughs> but like, what is the reality? Like, so that teacher that's saying this student needs to learn how to take notes handwritten notes in elementary school or middle school because they're going to need to do it later on. Well, let's think about the reality. When they're in middle school, high school, most likely, and even college, they're going to have a a computer, probably they're taking notes. They might even have a recorder. They might have the ability to have someone taking notes for them because that is a very typical accommodation in college. When people are in the real world and in professional spaces, there are text-to-speech, speech-to-text. There's so much technology out there that it's like, if there's an underlying root cause that it's not just they don't want to, or maybe it's more difficult for them to learn that skill. And maybe our time is better spent than something else because there is technology that not only will help them now, but can help them in the real world. Oh, absolutely. And I also think too, what I love to do is, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on teachers to accomplish so much in a school year. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think they get lost in what exactly do they want their student to be doing in that moment? So I think of an example where I was working with this incredible math teacher, highly skilled, organized, structured, and really offered a great environment for various different learning abilities, always provided notes or modified as needed, but completely pushed back when one of his middle school students with ADHD and really weak working memory we you know, needed to use a calculator while learning the order of operations. And it's not because he didn't want to help the student. He was just really skeptical on how it would like actually help the child learn the order of operations, right? So I mm-hmm. sat down together and I helped him understand working memory and its role in learning. 
Students with weak working memory have difficulty holding on to that incoming information and using it in a useful way, meaning they'll struggle to understand what to do next with really complex tasks. So it can impact their ability to follow multi-step directions, which is, you know, used in math all the time. So if we have a child with weak working memory who's attempting an order of operations problem, even with the use of a mnemonic device, you know, we always learned like what PEMDAS, uh, when I was taught it was please excuse my dear Aunt Sally or something ridiculous uh-huh. like that. But oh my God. Yeah. Is, yeah if a child Unlocked a memory there, right there with that mnemonic. <laughs> it's great, but it doesn't necessarily work for all child because if that student with weak working memory is sitting there for an extensive amount of time, just trying to recall the math facts that they need to do, they're using all their brain power to sit there and work out five times seven drawing it out using their fingers yeah. get lost in what step comes next. So they can't hold on to that information without the disruption of something else. So by giving them a calculator, we're removing that barrier for them. So I like to ask yeah. teachers in this moment, what are you trying to teach them? Math facts or the order of operations? Yeah. I know you want your student to learn both, but right now in this moment, what do you want them to do? You want them to learn right. the order of operations. So let's give them a tool, remove the barrier, because now they can focus on learning those actual steps rather than getting lost in, you know, doing five times seven when they can use a calculator right then and there. Right. Especially because that student most likely has spent the last three, four years of their education having goals, working on math facts, and have gotten nowhere because oh. of their challenges of working memory. So it's like, Okay, there's a time and place for that, but there's also a time to move on. Exactly. And that's why I really love to redirect the focus of what do we want the student to be doing in this moment? And if they're presenting challenges in whatever which way, what tools can we offer to them to support that process? It's not cheating. It's not making it easier for them. It's just simply kind of leveling that playing field for all of the Mm -hmm. learners in the classroom. So I love how you have it as a perspective shift, right? It, yeah. it really shouldn't be something that you have to say out loud that that should just be known. Like, of course, we're looking at the child in this particular time, in this particular place. But that's what I was saying earlier about how accommodations oftentimes are just looked over and it's like, and here are the accommodations. And then they like move on. Like I always make it a point to say, do these even work? And especially when we get into middle school, I love having the teachers there, even if they're rotating, but as long as you have the teachers, because what works in some classes doesn't work in other classes. One, two, sometimes the history teacher does something in a way or presents the accommodation in a way that's different than the English teacher. And in English is where the child is having the most difficulty having those accommodations implemented or whatnot, right? And so I think that it's a vital part of the IEP that is just so easily skipped over because it's like, okay, well, you know, they insert those accommodations in like everyone's IEPs and it really steers away from the whole purpose of an individualized education program, right? (laughs) Like it's supposed to be individualized. As we are kind of wrapping up this conversation about accommodations, 
Is there a story that you can think of? I'm putting you on the spot. I totally forgot to tell you about this part of the podcast. <laughs> so take your time, but we like to end on, on a positive note and like a real life example of, you know, how a parent can bring up, you know, this conversation or, or so anyway, the good field time story, like where you really advocated for a certain type of accommodation that maybe wasn't the run of the mill type of accommodation or any just feel good story where you were an advocate or taught, you know, teachers uh, the way in which to embed or implement accommodations within the classroom? I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think if I had a little bit more time, I could probably share with you a story that's much more in line with the description. But honestly, the first thing that just came to my mind Mm -hmm. was thinking about this family and it really didn't have anything to do with what was happening at school. It was really just a time where I was able to get a parent's anxiety to level itself a little bit. Yeah. So I was working with this one girl for many years. She had probably some of like the lowest working <clears throat> memory and processing speed in her profile okay. that I've ever worked with pretty severe ADHD mm-hmm. symptoms. And she was really struggling with writing and writing is just in general for students who have weak executive function skills, which are Mm -hmm. very tied to ADHD type of learning difference. You know, there's a lot of breakdown there because writing really requires a lot of different skills to kind of be implemented all together in a specific order that struggles. And, you know, this child's parent was so anxious about the accommodation. So they went through the evaluation process, right? They were open. They wanted to know what was going on. We had a list of accommodations. The school was putting it in place, but I could just tell that they felt like it was basically hindering her from learning what other students were learning. Mm. And we had this like heart to heart. I remember the parent coming to me after I was actually tutoring the student after tutoring the student and saying, you know, I see that you're using all these different tools and everything, but like when she gets to college, like, aren't you like, aren't what you doing, like making it so much harder for her. Mm. And I could just see they had tears in their eyes. Like yeah. we saw that what we were doing was helping this child mm-hmm. was progressing. We were actually like on an upswing for this child's confidence as well. Mm-hmm. But the parents still, you could just see that they were holding on to this. And I did the same thing that I did when I was working with, you know, teachers mm-hmm. approaching this with curiosity and saying, mm-hmm. well, you know, as a grown up, what are some things that you do at work that sort mm-hmm. of help you throughout your work day and manage your things? Like mm-hmm. there are certain tools that you use that you've adapted and sort of figured out that work for you. Like it's no different. If anything, we're teaching students to kind of recognize what their needs are, right? Yeah. We're, we're teaching uh-huh. them to recognize yeah, advocate for the tools that help them learn. And as long as we're approaching it that way, right. And we're really sharing with them, you're using this tool because it helps you do this because this is the way that you learn, mm-hmm. you know, having them <laughs> kind of see that perspective shift. She said, I remember her saying, Oh yeah, no, I work with headphones on when I'm at my office. I put, uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. And I said, yeah, well, guess what? That's a, an accommodation that your child yep. actually doesn't have right now. <laughs> right. right. But that is no different, right? It's just yeah. for some reason as adults, we see it as normal, but when it comes to the classroom, it seems so different. So I don't know if it's like fully kind of me. No, that was no, yeah, like awesome. But, yeah. But I think once we had, again, that mental shift of, 
oh, okay. So like, this isn't necessarily, you know, adding all these different, you know, preventative barriers. Like my child Mm -hmm. won't be able to, you know, thrive in the real world because we help them so much. Listen, there's going to need to be a gradual release of responsibility and independence for this student at this point, but we use tools as adults in the same way. That was, that was perfect. It aligns with, you know, Amanda and I have said that several times on the podcast. (laughs) What do we do? I have so many reminders and sometimes it still does, is not enough, right? (laughs) (laughs) On my phone, right? That's popping up. Um, But for some reason we see it differently. And I think that the curiosity and then that mental kind of shift, what is going to help this child now, I think are the best takeaways that we hope you guys kind of carry with you. And Maggie, we might have you back on in the fall as a follow-up to this, because I I know there's so many different areas within accommodations that we didn't even get to, (laughs) you know, maybe we could do like a, Amanda and I have said this a couple other times where we maybe look at some real life accommodations we'll pull from our IEPs and maybe you could kind of go through and say, oh, I see this, but you know, and we'll give you, we used to call these hypotheticals in law school where it's just like, this child has this, this, and this, this is the accommodation. What do you think would work? Maybe we could do something like that. We'll send it to you beforehand. We'll talk through some real world examples. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would absolutely love that. That sounds like a great exercise. And I just, you know, it would, it would bring me right back to the classroom, which I'm certainly missing. Good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Maggie, we really appreciate your time, your expertise and that kind of shift in perspective and the curiosity. We love that. You are definitely our people. If people wanted to reach out to you or had additional questions or follow, we wanted to follow you. Um, if you have social media, where can they find you? Um, you know, I'm actually not huge on social media. Actually, <laughs> I, I love to follow amazing accounts such as yours, but I would say the best way if anybody would like any resources or to kind of think more curiously about mm-hmm. our accommodations, you can email me directly at my personal email. It's maggielstaub at gmail.com. And I guess we could add that to the show notes too, if that's Yay. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate it. And to our listeners, have a wonderful summer. We're going to have one more episode next week before we take our little break for summer. Talk to you then. (laughs) Bye. Bye.